everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Rural Perspectives Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Ulbrich, and today we're joined by Greg Peterson, but you might know him a little bit better by Machinery Pete. Welcome, Greg. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on, Adam. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. So there's many different things that we're going to talk about, probably get into machinery and, and auctions a lot more than I can say I've ever talked about on <laughs> this podcast. So I'm learning something today, but let's start with a little bit of background on yourself. Could you just talk about how you came to be known as Machinery Pete and how you went from starting out to where you are now? Yeah, you bet. Question I get asked uh, a lot. Uh, you know, I stumble into this niche. I started actually back in late 1989. Uh, I grew up in Benson, so in the in the ag country footprint here. And my dad, Jerry, was a third generation John Deere dealer in Benson. So I kind of grew up around the machinery angle. Uh, at heart, always been a numbers guy. So I was an accounting major at Gustavus, graduated 88. Was working in the Twin Cities, an accounting job for a year. It was fine, I whatever. Uh, my wife, Jackie, we were engaged, got married. That summer, she was here behind me in school, and she had a teaching job in Rochester, her hometown, uh, Labor Day weekend in 89 at the last minute. So we were all excited, moving to town, and I was just looking for an accounting job in Rochester. Well, life, uh, you know, works in odd ways, Adam. And it was right in that one month when I was looking for a job when my dad, Jerry, called from Benson. And he said, hey, why don't you come home and have lunch? I something I want to bounce off you. So I drove four hours back to Benson, we went down to the local cafe, had lunch, and he slid across the table to me this little book, size of a magazine, and at the time it was called Min Dakota uh, Auction Report, or it was, no, Minnesota Auction Report, and it was started by a banker in Morris. So I didn't start the business, but a banker did in the middle 80s, 86, because the bank needed or wanted hard cash valuations in those very difficult days. But my dad as a dealer got this book and he just, you know, hard to remember what it was like before the internet when you could just type, what, what info do I need? You just type it, boom, it's there. Well, this was 89. So he had this book of auction prices and he liked being able to flip it open to a model number and go, oh, John Deere 4450 is worth boom, 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 hard cash. And he knew, he worked with the banker who was looking to sell it. That guy got a promotion. And to call it a, a business at that point, I mean, he had like 100 subscribers at 14.95 a year. So he was just, he didn't have time to monkey with it anymore. So dad said, hey, you're 23 years old. You're, I know you're independent. He said, I don't know what you can do with this, but I'm just telling you it's good info. So I just went off of my dad's advice and said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll give it a shot. So literally it just took, it took 20 years slow motion growth uh, to slowly build it. And I had two other part-time jobs for five years in Rochester. Interestingly, one of them was I was working for the local newspaper, the Post Bulletin, sports department three nights a week taking uh, sports calls from 9 to 1 in the morning. And that helped my writing side because I didn't train as a writer. But if you got to fill 20 column inches on a softball game or whatever, you know, it's, writing is writing. So the business just kind of slowly kept growing, and then the internet came along, social media, and it wound up. We wound up with a TV show and all this different stuff. And but I describe it as a crockpot business model. You take a good idea, you throw it in the crockpot, and you have to be willing sometimes to let it do its thing. I couldn't dictate. I didn't. There was no internet when I started. My gosh, I mean, where's this going to go? You just got to roll with the punches along the way, and it's been so much fun. 
Well, how about your, your name, Machine Repeat? What's the origin of that? It was totally organic. I didn't really plan it out. Just I'd been called Pete from my friends back home playing basketball in Benson. Hey, Pete, you know, that's just who I was growing up. So when blogging became a thing on the Internet and websites were first going up, I needed kind of a tagline to end my little thing that I wrote. So I thought, I remember thinking, well, you could sign off Auction Pete or Machine Repeat sounded wider. And I'm thankful I decided to go that route. There wasn't really a lot of planning in it, but it just kind of happened, and that became our website, machinerepeat.com, and the columns I write in the magazines and everything. It just that was it, Machine Repeat, and it it affected, it helped me because it gave something people to latch on to, whether it was something I wrote about or the TV show or radio, social media, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we wound up on Machine Repeat. But it makes me nervous thinking back about the lack of thought that went into that. It just happened. Well, organic, uh, that's just how it is. It it's just, just, just It's just like you're following now. I mean, it's, it's incredible that, you, as you said, you went from starting something where the Internet wasn't even thought of to now today you're following on social media and, yeah. and things like that. Could you just kind of talk about what that means to you and... And such. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Adam. Uh, I trace it back to spring of 19, or 2009, really. And I tell people that's when my business and brand, it's like I saw, I saw a light, an opening. And it was tied to an auction in March of 2009 in Hamilton, Illinois. It was an interesting sale. There was a, a guy down there who was 82 years old, passed away. And he struck oil back in the early 80s. And he was a crusty dude, and he negotiated with an oil company in Texas for the mineral rights. And in order to get to give him the mineral rights, he said, I want a brand new line of John Deere machinery. I want three 4440s. I want a 7720. I want this. I want that. And the oil company gave it to him. But he literally was just a good old boy, wore overalls every day. And when he got this new stuff, he was already an older dude. He just put it in the shed. And when he passed away, and again, you got to remember, this was spring of 09. So YouTube, YouTube had just kind of started, but on the ag side, nothing had, it was kind of for kids. Facebook, Twitter, uh, all that stuff. But it was new. And so I went down to this auction in Illinois and I'd written a blog about it beforehand. Like, wow, check this out folks. There's a 4440, 82 model, 47 hours on it. And the blog went nuts, got all this people talking. So I went down to the auction, which we filmed, and I was just blown away. There were 3,500 people there. And it seemed like every one of them wanted to come up to talk to me. They'd been reading my column for 20 years. This is the crockpot aspect. Hey, there's that machine repeat guy. We've been reading him for 20 years. Here he is. I want to go talk to him. Okay, so you talk to Joe, Bob, Fred, Tom, Bill from Kentucky, Texas, Minnesota, Saskatchewan. And every one of them had a story. There would be some tractor, this or that. So I covered the auction. I got in my car at the time and I drove five hours back home to Rochester and my head was just spinning and I knew I I have to get on Facebook I have to get on Twitter I have to start a YouTube channel I don't know how to do it but we have two daughters at home that are 16 and 18 and I'm gonna I'm gonna check my stubborn Norwegianness and I'm gonna let them teach me how to edit video and they did and it was funny because we had a nice business at the time and I, I frankly didn't have time to sink into this new social media stuff, but the way I looked at it was, I don't have time not to do this. Because all those people that came up to talk to me, 
I need to build out more real estate to build out this relationship. So I started doing, you know, we've posted 1,500 YouTube videos now, and I think it's 40,000 uh, posts on Twitter. Uh, it's just, if you're into machinery, I can't give people enough. So that's how it, it kind of took off. And I had the same thing, the crockpot idea. I had to trust that all this time I was sinking into social media would be worth it in the end, and it really, it's been great. Thinking about all the auctions that you have been to in your career, could you even ballpark how many you've visited? Well, it's it's really, I know it seems like for people when they follow along that I'm at an auction every day, which I'm really not. Just logistically, as our business has grown, I'm able to put out the content in my home office in Rochester, and we have 1,100 auctioneers that I worked 30 years to connect with. So now, with cell phones and, and texting and things, I can, be, I can get a text from an auction in West Virginia that when I post the YouTube video, it looks like I was there. You know, it's a beneficial perception that people think, oh, that machine repeats everywhere. We, we're connected everywhere. But no, the number of auctions, I would just say it's been a lot. And it's been a joy uh, over the last 30 years going out to report on the sales. But again, the best part has been the conversations with the people along the way. So are there any... I mean, you, you already listed one auction in particular that mm -hmm. helped launch this thing. Are there other auctions that really stand out in your mind for whatever reason? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, I remember a sale, if we stay close to the footprint here in Starbucks. Uh, this was on my birthday. It was December 1st of 2006. So now this is an example. This was three years before the sale we just talked about. So social media wasn't happening yet. But I think it was uh, Lang, Bob Lang's sale beautiful late model equipment super line of equipment but the day was it was like 15 below and just frozen now one of the weird little things I've documented over the years is that bad weather days equal always equal strong bidding always rain or snow and cold and that sale everything was through the roof I remember I think he had a international 800 plow that was still the highest I ever seen like 32,000 bucks but I just remember being very cold, but a lot of hot prices that day. So that was definitely one that I really enjoyed. Going to these auctions and seeing these, are there other tidbits or trends that you kind of pick up and you, or some telltale signs of, oh, this is going to be a good day, or this, this might be a slower day? Oh, absolutely. It's fascinating. The, the thing with auctions, and I would just say I love auctions mostly today because, you know, we all have our heads down in our cell phones, and God bless them. They're amazing. They can do a you know, because, you know, more power in our hands than a zillion people that sent men to the moon 50 years ago. But we don't talk to each other as much. So, you know, kudos to what you're doing with your podcast, Adam, conversations. But when you go to an auction, it's a people event. And if you go and just listen, you can learn so much beyond the, oh, that tractor brought 50K or 100K, and is that up, is that down? But people will tell you how they're feeling. And what I try and do is I put out content on our TV show and blogs and columns and stuff is combine the data with the sentiment, which I find interesting now, like Purdue has a great egg uh, barometer where they, they just ask people, hey, how are you feeling? You know, are you up, are you down? This way? And I, I love that type of information. But the thing with the auction is auction is checkbook reality. So we can all stand around at that two-year-old combine and go, ooh, times are tough. I don't know, that thing is going to be a tough sale today. Okay, well, that chatter just doesn't matter. 
The only thing that matters is when that thing sells and the gavel falls, you know, boom, what does it bring? And is that number up or down? And so I like combining those two aspects. So let's talk a little bit about modern and current trends in terms of the equipment industry right now. Where are we at? Where are we heading, in your opinion? Well, 30 years I've been doing this, uh, boy, I don't know that I've seen a time that's so interesting for the different dynamics. So obviously, tough, tough, challenging times in ag stretching out here. It's just getting difficult. I mean, what, we're seven years now into the lower uh, profit environment. But that said, used equipment values actually are inching up for the last two years. And I trace it back to the very end of 17. And if, you, if we pull back here, it, it does make sense. Because on the one hand, people say, well, machine repeat, how can these used values be going up? Well, from, the end of, or from early 13 to the end of 17, people were in kind of a pullback mode. And frankly, they had very late model lines of equipment generally. They bought so much new when the times were good from late 07 into early 13. So it became easy to sit tight machinery-wise. And the dealers were busy working out from under their excess use inventory. They were busy doing that. So we went along there about four years. And now, hey, if you're still going to farm and your windows are getting tighter and tighter in the fall and the spring, you got maybe your farm is bigger. Well, you have to have machinery that runs and is going to do what you need to do when you got to do it. So what we're seeing on the used market is the very best condition, slightly older stuff, 8 to 10 plus year old, even back stretching out 20, 30 years old. If it's good condition and it runs, buyers want that. Those values are holding to going up. And also the 1 to 3 year old stuff that's under warranty, tractors and combines. That's in high demand because of the warranty protection. And the repair bills can get big. And again, that warranty is just like a beacon shouting out. So I actually advise our auctioneers and private sellers and dealers. If you have an item with warranty, don't don't bury the lead. Put the, you know, one year, 2,000 hours left on this warranty. Put it right at the top of the listing because that's what will attract the dollars. So going from state to state, comparing the same machines, are you seeing a, a big variance in the in the ultimate the price depending on where it's actually being sold? Yeah, great question. Uh, for 30 years, that's one of the aspects I've enjoyed most about tracking the data. Uh, and now we actually have a mapping tool in our machinerepeat.com website. So you can look at a punch up a model, say a John Deere 7810 tractor. And you can look at the data, the prices, but then you can also put a heat map on it. They'll show you geographically where they sell the most often. But then you break down the pricing different areas, and that's always been interesting. This year, coming off of the, the wet conditions, I actually honestly thought we'd see more of a, <clears throat> a difference based on you know who didn't plant last year. Uh, and then you get down in Missouri in the catastrophic situation there. And, I was out in Ohio last month filming for the TV show, and we were in a, one of the top counties in the country, and they said, well, Pete, we had 75 to 80% no plan here. And I thought high-dollar equipment on the auction market would sell softer in these areas. Now, what we found is that that has not happened. And again, this is another example of, I think this is going to, it's worth that, or it might be worth less, but until the checkbook, the gavel falls, then we know. So to me, I think at this point, you know, there's a lot of strong balance sheets out there still in ag, even though the pressure of the last five, six, seven years. These are smart operators. They went through the 80s in a lot of cases. You, if you came out the other side of that, you remembered these lessons going forward. So when you had your good times back, you know, a decade ago, 
you're just in a strong position. And these folks are savvy business operators and using the internet today. So when they find that nice eight-year-old combine or tractor or planter that's right, they aren't shy about snapping it up. And I think that's why the good condition use stuff is still holding well in this tough environment. Do you find a lot of people who attend the auctions are coming from a great distance? Sometimes. It depends on the type of sale. If it's a collector type sale, that tends to pull people for the communal aspect of, oh, this is all Alice Chalmers tractors. We love Alice, so we know there's going to be Alice people there. If it's just a regular, like a usual farm retirement sale, we're seeing less of the people traveling. Of course, online bidding has really changed things. So that's been around you know, so long now that people are comfortable with it. And it's interesting to me, if you look on the construction side, so you look at a company like Ritchie Brothers, who just dominates the construction side. And if you talk to them, I, I think the figure actually, the percentage of online bidders is roughly like 70 to 80% online. And these can be assets, you know, half a million, or uh, yeah, half a million bucks for a, a big, you know, road grader or something. But on the egg side, it's been slower but we're definitely seeing now where more people are comfortable, and a lot of it is they, they get comfortable with the auction firms like Steffes or Henslin that use these you know online platforms. So when they see an, an online sale for Henslin or Steffes, they go, oh, okay, that's what I want. I trust these guys. Uh, they've been at it a long time. They treat people well. And you don't have to drive you know five hours to the sale. You don't have to eyeball it as much. And I think we're on the, on the edge, Adam, of taking the next step with the upcoming auctions and equipment listings for sale in terms of video and really taking that next step of maybe in, say you adam you've got a forge chopper for sale well it's odd, like we can show you data in machinerepeat.com that shows that listing performs better and gets more clicks if you have more pictures and more pictures of the tires but the next step is really to have you on video standing by it telling us about it and again it's weird because up here in the Midwest in particular, and folks in ag all over, they're, they're uncomfortable saying, you know, how great my tractor is. But I'm not advising you to do that. I just want to hear you talk about it. I bought it at, you know, Amundsen-Peterson 10 years ago. I bought it from Joe, and I, you know, I changed the oil, boom, boom, boom. And here's what I use it to do on my farm. And my experience has been when people see the video clip of you standing by it, representing it, warts and all, you say, well, I should have replaced the tires, it's got an oil leak, whatever. That's even better when you're being truthful like that. Then it pulls people in who watch that video. That's why I built out these social media platforms all these years to build this big audience so that we can help you as a seller now reach and personally connect with more people. Because, like Adam, if you live in or work in Wilmer, people around Wilmer, they know, oh, Adam, he's a good guy, he's good machinery. Well, they don't know you in Iowa, and they don't know you in Fargo, and they don't know you in Alabama, but there's a way we can introduce them to you, and it's powerful. And frankly, it's dollar bills in your pocket. So I'm excited to build out that part of our business. Is there any other considerations for potential sellers when they go in and they're looking, okay, I want to put a piece of machinery up for sale at a certain time? Is there any other considerations to think about? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, so let's start with, should I repair it? Should I, should I touch up the paint? Basically, my answer there is don't. It comes from the right place of people, sellers wanting the item they're selling to be in the best condition, presenting the best way to, to potential buyers. But again, I'm sitting on over a million data points, and we have a lot of data points that show, you know, ooh, guy spent 
18.5. I go, here's all the receipts I spent on it. Now it depends. If it's a later model tractor, your return, it helps. If it's like a 30-year-old tractor and you're expecting that 20000 you put into it to be fully returned, no, you're not going to get that out of it. You're better off there just keeping original as is and just trust the process. This is, an, this is my original condition, 7,500 hour, 4430. And it's, it'll bring what it's supposed to bring. Uh, in terms of selling, if you're looking at auction, timing of the year is important. I think it's becoming less important. I used to, I still tell people if I were having an auction, I would have it in the middle of November. Now, this year with harvest conditions, you would think that would be really detrimental, but still, even this last year, those prices are strong because you're starting to get people to think about the next year. And my thought is, why would you ever want to be at the back of that line, wait till March, when all the people in November, December, January, February who needed a planner, they already got it. And now here comes your nice planner. Why not get the front of the line? And, it, and we, of course, when money was flowing through ag, then we had the Section 179, people wanted the write-off you know, to minimize their tax bite, which is a whole other podcast episode probably, Adam, but uh, you can take advantage of that. Now, that said, what I've noticed the last two years is if you have good condition equipment, generally speaking, you're going to be fine no matter when you sell it because that's the key thing. People want quality, and if you got quality and you're selling it in August and USDA crop report came out and it stunk, you still have quality. And we haven't seen the dips and the bumps we used to on that front. But on the flip side, are there things to be considering when purchasing? Any tips there that you can give? Oh, definitely. I've, I'm trying to bring this point forward for what it's worth. And, you know, I just thank you guys for having me up to talk to your great marketing day, a great audience up here. But the, the biggest opportunity I see is in kind of that, uh, well, I was saying four to seven-year-old stuff. Now it would be five to eight. So the, or the 2015 to the 2012 that model of tractor and combine, that's your buying opportunity right now because you know there might be a few more of them on the dealer lots and when we see them at auction, it's, it's weird, but these 30 years I've, I've been tracking this, people always drift towards wanting the 10-year-old stuff that's really nice with low hours because of the gap between the cost of new and that 10-year-old one is always judged to be, ooh, that's what I want is that 10-year-old one. Well, the, the, the smart play is to hop in and buy the five-year-old one with low hours, whether it's from your local dealer who's got a good deal on it or at an auction. And guess what? In five years, that's going to be the 10-year-old one that everybody wants. Now, the one X factor in that equation right now is the, is the tier four engines, and we've definitely seen, you know, ramp up of people wanting those, you know, the pre-def stuff. But... I've been doing this for three decades. I, I think that as these five-year-old models get out to be 10 years old, they're still going to be mighty attractive compared to a, a one-year-old one. And so, again, the time to buy them is, is right now. Now, you mentioned a little earlier about collections. Mm -hmm. People collect tractors. What are some of the more fun stories that you have regarding collections? And ultimately, I'm curious, just what's the largest collection you've ever seen? Ooh, the largest collection. That is a good question. I... In terms of raw numbers, boy, I, I run into quite a few folks, you know, way over 100. Uh, you, that's sort of the, the, def, <laughs> the demarcation line. You get over 100, you're triple digits. I tease people, but I, if they're under 100, I say, well, you still got room. You can build a new shed, come on. <laughs> but I don't, I don't have a number on the top end, but we, we've run into some amazing collections. One of my favorites, 
uh, a YouTube video I posted on, uh, it was early November of 15. And it was a guy, it was actually a John Deere dealer in Belleville, Illinois. His name is Tom Renner. And I was standing at an auction Halloween of 15, watching a, a collector auction. And Tom came up and he pulled on my coat and he said, Pete, I got to show you something. And he was talking about his collection. And he had, I think, five, four or five sheds. And these are massive sheds. Folks, if you haven't seen the YouTube video, go watch it. Just type Machinery Pete Tom Renner. And the fun thing is I just took my iPhone and we walked along and Tom told me about each tractor. And he it went beyond tractors. He had a collection of uh, early Americana, like schooners, people, you know, going west. Uh, and he had old plows. And uh, he had a great collection of four-wheel drive tractors. On the red side, there's a guy in Galva, Illinois, named Jerry Custer. Uh, again, I posted a YouTube video. You can go watch it. If you like red tractors, you've got to watch Jerry Custer on YouTube. It's unbelievable. Three, four sheds. And then he, had, he and his wife, Connie, have a museum, a little museum in Little Galva, Illinois. They showed me. He did the walk through their tractors. And he has three first serial number internationals, a 7288, I think uh, 1568, and a 5288, the very first one made. So cool to stand there and Jerry talk about them. But then he has a museum all about agriculture in Little Galva, Illinois. And, it, you know, buttons, and it's just fascinating. And I was going through there, and I noticed a button, and it said hemp. But the button was from, like, the early 1900s. And I'm like, Jerry, what's up with this? And he said, oh, there used to be a huge rope manufacturing plant here. So everywhere I go around the country, you know, whether it's Benson where I grew up or uh, St. Cloud or Starbuck or Galva, Illinois, there's stories. And it's machinery and it's people, and I, I never get tired of telling those stories. I think that's a very interesting dynamic because everything does have a story, and these people take a lot of pride in their machinery. That has to be just really nice to see. It is. It's, uh, it's a part of their DNA. I remember being at an auction in Alliance, Nebraska, way western panhandle, and we were filming it, and a guy, he was in his 80s, he came up during the sale, and he, he said, are you machinery, Pete? And I said, yes, yes, I am, sir. And his name was George, and he said, I understand I'm supposed to talk to you. And I was like, oh, I'm happy to visit with you. And it turns out he had a collection, and I, I, I happened to have time after the sale, and we went back to his collection, and he and his wife, I'm trying to remember his wife's name, uh, again, there's a YouTube video of it. Uh, just incredible. They invited me in for a piece of pie and a glass of lemonade and then took me out into the shed. And he had a collection of toy tractors in the house back in the third bedroom from the floor to the ceiling. And again, I just like to listen. And, you know, to have the iPhone and just, you know, hey, Adam, tell me, why did you do that? What does this tractor mean to you? And a lot of times it's not the shiniest or the most expensive tractor that means the most. It's the one that you connect to your grandpa uh, or that you remember riding along with, you know, on your grandpa's lap or whatever. And that, I mean, that's just human and that's powerful stuff and it's, uh, it, it connects. So we, I just enjoy those stories and I'm thankful to the audience for sharing those stories with us to, you know, get the word out there and have people enjoy them. Well, I think that's a, a nice spot to wrap up. So I guess what I'm going to ask here is is how do people if they do want to connect with you share their stories sure. share their information how do they find you how do they access some of those things that we've talked about today well like uh, you were talking about before adam the machinery pete uh tag 
that that's your way to find us. So whatever your platform, just hop on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, type in Machine Repeat, you'll see our pages come up. And there's always, you know, you can message me on Facebook or Twitter, uh, YouTube, or just our website, machinerepeat.com. We want that to be the hub of everything we do. We've got 100,000 pieces for sale. You can list yours for sale. There's an email link. Uh, and just reach out. And uh, happy to visit with you folks. Uh, again, it's an honor for me to share your story. Um, or if you think, if you have a question on your tractor, or if we can help you sell it or find it, uh, that's what we want to do. Well, Greg, thank you very much for sitting down and speaking with us today. It's been great. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Adam. That's Greg Peterson, better known as Machinery Pete. That's going to do it for us here on this episode of the Rural Perspectives podcast, which is a production of Egg Country Farm Credit Services. To get more great content, please visit www.eggcountry.com. <laughs>